Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 169. Today, we are talking about a book-to-screen adaptation. Our focus is on To All the Boys, Always and Forever, based on the great third book in Jenny Han's To All the Boys I've Loved Before trilogy. So before we get started, we just want to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us so much. It helps people find the podcast. It's no big deal at all to rate. It can take you like five seconds. So if you can rate, and if you have a few extra seconds, you can write a review too. We would so, so appreciate it. To begin our episode, we're going to do our bookish check-in. Sarah, what are you reading today? I am reading Holly Whitaker's Quit Like a Woman, The Radical Choice to Not Drink in a Culture Obsessed with Alcohol. I received this book from Random House when it first came out in hardcover. So I'm doing a combo of reading it. And also then I also bought the audiobook. And Holly Whitaker reads the audiobook. And you know how I like to read books written by the author, especially in nonfiction. And what interests me about this book was the particular focus on women. And what she's discussing is her own battle with alcohol and treatment-based programs that basically were created in the 30s, like Alcoholics Anonymous, that focused on men. And most of the first recovery programs that came out of those groups were mostly men and women weren't even allowed to be in them at the very beginning. So she just is discussing her opinion that there has not been a good treatment program in terms of alcohol for women. And so she created a treatment program and I'm about halfway through. She talks a lot about how alcohol is marketed to women and all the current culture of calling it mom juice and rosé all day and all of that and about how kind of the history of alcohol, how it compares to the cigarette epidemic. And it's just really interesting. I'm learning a lot. I think that some people may find Holly abrasive because she is, I'm finding that I'm really into right now reading women who are not afraid to say what they think and make an opinion. And so even if I don't agree with everything that I read about that these women are writing. Like I talked about Lindy West and I talked about Rachel Held Evans and then Holly Whitaker. I think that I am at this point in my life where I just want to see these strong females who are not afraid to say an opinion that might feel controversial and say that this is what I think and this is why. And that's fine. It's my Mm -hmm. truth. So I'm really enjoying it. I'm learning a lot from all the stuff I'm reading lately and it's it's really good, and I look forward to seeing how it ends and to learn more about the treatment program she created that's female-focused. So that is Holly Whitaker's Quit Like a Woman, The Radical Choice to Not Drink in a Culture Obsessed with Alcohol. 
Yeah, I've seen some great reviews on that one, Sarah, and it caught my attention because of that. And it's an interesting perspective. And like for myself, I'm not, that's not a goal that I have. But then yeah. as I read people's opinions about it, it was so illuminating. And yeah, it sounds fast, like a fascinating read. It is. And it's well researched. And like I said, I mean, she is taking a stand and she is, I mean, she is unyielding in it. And I just appreciate people who are willing to. I think maybe that's what I'm looking for for myself and my mm -hmm. life because I, it is hard for me to like stand up for something. I really try to avoid confrontation. And so I really admire these women who are like, this is what I think and, you know, deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm really enjoy I'm really enjoying some of the reading I've been doing this year, a lot of nonfiction and a lot of strong female voices. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. I love that goal so much. That feels like a reading challenge waiting <laughs> to happen. <laughs> yeah. I love that too, Sarah. And I feel like with the podcast, because we do share our ideas a lot more, I have become aware of how hard it is for me to say the thing and yeah. to, and of course I don't want to upset people. And I think that's an understandable feeling, but like you, I've come to really admire people who will say, what they feel, even at the risk of upsetting other people. And I think that's really hard to do, especially for women. So yeah, mm -hmm. I can see, I can see how that's really feels empowering to read books mm -hmm. where people are doing that. Yeah. Ashley, what are you reading? So I am excited to read Elizabeth Acevedo's Clap When You Land. I have been wanting to read this one since before it came out and had not made time for it and then realized I had access to the audio. And so that was a no brainer. And I immediately was like, oh, this is perfect. And I want to listen to it right now. And I'm so glad that I did. I have read both The Poet X and With the Fire on High, both of which I really enjoyed. I read both of them in book form, but I'd heard such great things about the audio of her books. And in this one, it's narrated by Elizabeth Acevedo and also Melania Luisa Marte. So it has two voices for the two sisters in the story. So in this one, it opens up with Camino, who's one of the narrators, and she lives in the Dominican Republic. She lives with her tia, and she is really focused on school and has a lot of plans for her future. She lives also for her summers and really looks forward to the time when her dad comes from the States and visits her in the summer. And so that happens every year. And early on, you get a sense of how she works hard to maintain a positive attitude about it. So instead of being upset about all the ways that she misses out on life with her father, she instead focuses on celebrating the time they do get to have together and being glad to be together at that time. And he does provide for her in a lot of other ways. And so she's thankful for that part. But there is this underlying tension that she is working hard to not look too deeply at so that she can celebrate the relationship they that they have, which is a great one when he is able to come. So it opens with her and she's waiting for the flight and it becomes apparent that there's been a plane crash and that he very likely did not survive. And so it opens with that scene and then transitions to Yahaira and she is in the States and she, you're finding out about her life there and she's at school and knew that her father was getting on a plane to take the trip that morning and then is called into the office 
to be, you know, for them to share the news of what had occurred. And so, so far their lives are parallel and have not connected, but I can see that the connection between them is coming and that unbeknownst to both of them, the other one is out there and that they have this connection of having lost the father that they did not know that they shared. And so I am absolutely loving it. The audio is fantastic. It moves quickly and is really compelling. And I love the way that we're getting two very different perspectives of two kids who've had a very different life experience, but who now are going to have this tragic but uniting experience of grief as they work through the loss of their father. So again, that's Elizabeth Acevedo's Clap When You Land. I love that book so much. I'm so excited that you're reading it. One of my students had borrowed it from my classroom library and just returned it. So it was, it's been on my mind. So I was thrilled to see it here. I still haven't read that one. Oh, Sarah, you would love it. Yeah, I kept meaning to get to it. I think you would love it, Sarah. And the audio is only five and a half hours or something. So it's a very manageable length. What about you, Jen? What are you reading? So I am cheating just a little bit because I just finished this book and have not yet started another one. This is Angeline Bully's Firekeeper's Daughter, which I read thanks to NetGalley and also had the audiobook on Libro FM. It actually came out just yesterday. So I've been trying to think about how to explain this book because it is not terribly long, but it it covers so much, but I'll, I'll just hit some of the high points and obviously no spoilers. So Donna Fontaine is a native teen who is getting ready to go to college. She originally was planning on leaving her home and going away to college, but her grandmother had a stroke and her mother has a lot of difficulty with change and is having some trouble because she's caring for her mother while she's in the nursing home, but she's also very dedicated to getting there every day. And Donna's just doesn't feel as if she can leave her mom. So she decides to stay close to home. She's going to live at home and go to the local college with her best friend, Lily. In the meantime, she was a hockey player at her high school. She actually played on the boys team along with her half-brother, Levi. And because of a very complicated story, she and her half-brother are very close to the same age. Their dad was a star hockey player who was headed to the NHL when he had a horrible accident that didn't allow him to play hockey anymore. And then he died when Levi and Donis were quite young. So they are very close, despite the fact that they each live with their mothers. And Levi is a big part of her life. And hockey is still a big part of her life, even though she is not playing anymore. So one day she's hanging out with Levi and he introduces her to Jamie, who is a new hockey player on the team. He's there from out of town. He has a girlfriend, but Donna finds him to be very, very attractive. And so there's, there's all this yeah, smoldering glances and all this flirting, but she is determined that they will just stay friends. And, but, but that is definitely an underlying plot that sort of develops. So one of the things I loved about this story is that while you have all the, all of these things developing, there's also a lot of information about Donna's. She is half native. So her mother is white, but her dad was part of the Ojibwe tribe 
And there's a lot of information about Native traditions, Native mythologies. Her aunt did this great job of making sure that she understood who she was as a Native girl and as a Native woman and really taught her a lot of the heritage that was such an important part of her life and of Donis's father's life. And so that is a huge part of the book. And it's woven in so beautifully. I felt like I learned a lot, but it never felt like learning. It's just one of those things I looked back and I, I was thinking about all of these things that I hadn't known before. Another really important subplot is that her best friend Lily's ex-boyfriend, Travis, is her ex-boyfriend because he has become addicted to meth and Lily wants him to go get help and he keeps refusing to go get help. And so she she felt like she had to break up with him, hoping that that would make him, you know, take that step to get help for himself. And Donis and Lily start learning about meth sales on the reservation and near in their hometown. And so it's just, there are all of these different storylines that are woven together. There's a mystery. There is a lot of drama. There's some romance. It's just an impeccably written novel. I just can't begin to pick apart the threads to make this sound more coherent because everything is just so seamlessly put together. But it is one of the more powerful books I've read recently. I could read it again right now. I just think it is beautiful and beautifully written and just just an amazing YA story. Like I cannot wait to share this one with my students. I think readers are going to absolutely love it. It is YA, but she is going to college. So I do feel like it's best for older students. I, I don't know that I would give this to young teenagers. It deals with a lot of very mature things but it is a great, great read. So that again is Angeline Bully's Firekeeper's Daughter. And I mostly read the ebook, but I listened to a little bit of the audio and that was also great. So I think it would be wonderful in either format. I have that one as well and cannot wait to read it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. You both will love it. I cannot wait to hear what you think. So. So before we get to our main segment, we have a great treat today. Shay, whose Instagram handle is at booksaremagic2, and we'll put that in the show notes. She also runs the at love actually account, is going to share her bookish check-ins. Shay is one of our unabridged ambassadors, and she is fabulous. She always has great ideas and is so supportive. So we are so thrilled to hear about what Shay is reading today. Hello listeners, I'm Shay, Books Are Magic 2, and an unabridged pod ambassador from Dayton, Ohio. Today I'm sharing one of my recent reads, a debut title that will grab your attention with an adorable cover, but hook you with a cute storyline and relatable young adult characters. With Always and Forever Laura Jean releasing recently on Netflix, I've been all about the contemporary romance young adult titles lately. I even have a segment on my personal page planned that I'm calling To All the Books I've Ever Loved Before based on books you would love if you have loved Jenny Han's series. While I have quite a list of ones I want to read in this genre, today I want to share with you one of my recent favorites, Happily Ever Afters by Elise Bryant. For all of us who love books about books, our main character in this story, Tessa, is a writer who writes about romance stories and happy endings. Her family has recently moved, and she gets accepted to a prestigious school for the creative arts, where she's beyond excited to be able to focus on her writing. Let me introduce you to the interesting and lovable side characters that are there for our girl Tessa in this story. There's Caroline, her best friend, who she bonds with over her stories, but their new distance apart is making it hard for them to connect in the same way as before. She makes some new friends, 
at her school, bonus points for some great representation in these characters, like Sam, her neighbor, the boy next door, who's constantly there for her but just isn't the love interest she's looking for. Leonor, who she quickly forms a friendship with. In her writing class, she meets Nico, who might just be the boy of her dreams, written right after one of her own characters. Does he have too many flaws that she's overlooking to finish out the plan that Caroline and her come up with after she loses her ability to write? Add in a fantastic family dynamic as Tessa's brother Miles has a disability that is approached realistically and handled in a way that makes you appreciate the everyday. We need more of this in books, in my opinion, where the everyday stories are explored and you can relate with every character. My one hang-up in this story is that Tessa is hung up on someone else's man. And like we know from To All the Boys I've Loved Before, this plotline can lead to some not-so-great situations for our characters. I mean, who wants to create an enemy when they're new at a school and trying to fit in? Tessa's personal growth in the story is one of the most endearing parts of it, and I just felt like this book had so much to learn from, so many situations and issues to connect with, that not only make you feel, but relate with the character. And I would highly recommend picking this one up. It'll leave you not only with a wanting for all the yummy treats Sam creates, but celebrating personal growth and wanting more stories just like this one. So thank you so much, Shay, for sharing. We are so glad to have her here. And if you are interested in the Unabridged Ambassadors, you can check out our website, unabridgedpod.com slash ambassadors. All right. Well, we are going to move on to our main segment. Today, we are talking about the book, Always and Forever, Laura Jean, and its screen adaptation, which is to all the boys, Always and Forever, because of course they had to make it complicated. So we are going to talk about the book a little bit and the film primarily. We want to start with things we liked about the book. And I will just say for my part, it has been so long since I read the book that I'm going to let Ashley and Sarah take take the lead here. Uh, Ashley, what are some things that you liked about the book? I probably have admitted this at some point, but one issue that I had that I had to work through was that I was really team John Ambrose McLaren in book two. And I wish I weren't, but that is just my honest truth. And so then when I, and I love Peter, but I don't love Peter like I loved, (laughs) like I love John in book two. As I started book three, I remember really having to work through that. But the things that I loved were, the way that Han explores the college process for teens and what that is like now and how that can be really hard to navigate with friends and relationships and with your family. And we had already seen Lara Jean go through that when Margot went to school and having her deal with the fact that Margot went so far away. And so she really was already having to work through with that for herself and knew that that was going to impact Kitty and her dad. And so I think she has a lot weighing on her mind. That's not just her relationship with her boyfriend, but also like what it's going to mean for her family when she makes a choice about college. And so I thought that Han really explored all that really well. And the other thing I really loved in the book was the exploration of her dad marrying Trina and watching each of the siblings deal with that and, you know, and have varying reactions. I really loved that. And I remember that standing out to me that, you know, Kitty was like in, in the matchmaking business in the beginning and really wanted them together. And then Laura Jean 
was very accepting of it. And Margot had a different response. And I think all of those responses are appropriate. But all along, one of the things I just loved about Han's books is the way that she explored their Korean heritage, the way to uphold that even with the loss of her mom, the way to move forward as a family after loss. I just thought all of that was so richly done in the book. And those were some things I enjoyed as this trilogy wrapped up. Sarah, what about you? What are some things you liked about the book? I really liked the fact that it was set in Virginia because that's where we are. And I feel like we don't get a lot of, I don't read a lot that's set in Virginia. And when I'm like, oh, I know this place or I've been there, that I really like that in a book. So that was one of the things I thought was really charming for me for the whole trilogy. I knew some of the places she referenced and I had been to the University of Virginia and I just, I didn't go there, but I, my sister actually did go there. So I spent time there and I just know the pride they take in that campus there. So I just was I was interested in that. I will say that the third book was not my favorite of the three. I actually really like the first book the best, which is unusual for me. I usually like the the third. I usually don't like the second. And then I like the third in a trilogy. But I actually liked the first book the best in this trilogy. But for the third book, I really did like the way that the relationship between Trina and their dad, I just thought it was so sweet. And I thought she did a really good job of just showing how that relationship developed and the, how they just loved each other and understood each other. And I thought that that was really a beautiful part of the, that book too. I don't know. Ashley said some stuff about that too. So that was probably my favorite about the book, but I do have to also say the book feels very far away for me as well. <laughs> Cause I, it, it's been a several years since I read it, but I did like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just have these impressions of the trilogy as a whole and I re- really loved it and I liked Peter and I was glad she chose Peter and I thought it was nice to see the way they work through a relationship, I think so often in romances in general, relationships end with the kind of getting together or they would end with that part in book one when they're a couple. And so I always appreciate books and trilogies and series that look at, okay, here's how you have to work at having a good relationship and you keep choosing each other, especially when they're so young. It's not like, okay, well, you chose each other and now you're done and you're just together forever. So I really appreciated that in the books. And I think the movie, I think that's something that translated really well to the movie. And yeah, I agree about the dad. Oh my gosh. He was one of my favorite characters in the book. And I think, sorry, I know I keep mentioning the movie, but I love John Corbett's portrayal of her dad in the movie. I think he just hits the perfect balance between being really cool, but also just being a really good dad who's conservative about some things and is protective of his daughters and is trying to do the right thing. So I like him a lot. All right. Well, even though I've snuck ahead a little bit, we are now officially moving to our section about the movie and overall impressions. And Sarah, what were your overall impressions of the movie? I almost texted Jen last night when I was watching it because we, I think when we watched All the Bright Places, we talked about montages and <laughs> there was a, there were an excessive number of montages in this film. I thought of you. I know. I love a montage, but I, but even I was like, oh my goodness. 
another montage because especially <laughs> the first half, I found that I enjoyed the second half of the movie more than the first half be just because it was very montage heavy and like and mm-hmm. background music and oh, these are the things that we're doing. However, I did really enjoy it. I think this movie is perfectly cast. I think each person really brings a lot to the table, even the secondary characters. I love Kitty. I think she, the actress who portrays her, Anna Cathcart, is spot on. She is just so amazing at everything she everything she does. I mean, she just has perfect comedic timing, I think. And so I just, I really appreciate the casting. And I think when we did this book to adaptation of one of the prior book and movies, I said that I got really annoyed with Peter in the books because I just felt like he made some really, some really just not great choices. And I thought that just were very insensitive for Laura Jean. But I felt like in the movie that Peter Kaczynski and Noah Centineo, he is just so charming. And I just like Peter way more in the movies than I did in the books. And that held true throughout the the third movie as well. I think he and Laura Jean have a great chemistry and I just enjoy watching them on screen. So I, I enjoyed it. Like I said, there were some things that I like the montages <laughs> that I felt were pretty kind of lazy, I guess, trying to get through n- some of the narrative in the book, but just trying to piece together. But otherwise, I, I did enjoy it. And I was grinning like a schoolgirl throughout. The- so <laughs> yeah, Ashley, what about you? What are your overall impressions? Yeah, so I watched this one with my partner and <laughs> and we had watched the other ones together as well. And it it's the kind of movie that I enjoyed making snarky comments throughout, but I really loved it. And so mm-hmm. it was there were lots of opportunities to make snide comments and <laughs> which probably deepened my experience. But I agree with Sarah that I loved the second half even more or just the later part of the movie. I don't know exactly at what point, but I definitely got more invested as the story progressed. And I loved even the things that I thought were cheesy or overly cute or, you know, that kind of thing, which we all know if you listen to the podcast, that is not my style. Even those things were still fun and were a lot of fun to watch. So yeah, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. And like like you said, Sarah, I think I I think I probably enjoyed the second movie the best. But again, I've already confessed that I really <laughs> loved John Ambrose's character, and so I think that that impacted. And I also I loved all the stuff of the nursing home and everything in the second film, and so I think that was part of why I really enjoyed that. But with this one, and we'll talk about this when we go over some of these things, but I felt like the movie explored some things I really loved seeing, and that was what made it really rise above for me. So, like I said, there were parts that I thought were kind of hokey or whatever, but. But then what I thought was really powerful was that there was a strong message made about family. There was a strong message made about siblings. 
And there was a strong message made about following your heart and making choices that are right for you as a young woman. And I loved all of that. So that's why I felt like more and more as the film progressed and it was moving in that direction, I liked it even more. And I was surprised to see some of those things because they were changes from the books in some ways. But I felt like that made those messages clearer to the audience. And I liked that. What about you, Jen? Yeah, I really, I loved it. I'm all about the hokiness and the cheese. So I was, I was loving it. I'm glad she didn't watch with me. (laughs) (laughs) It is okay. I mean, I can make, I can totally see places that I could make snarky comments, but I, I was just all in. And I just think, I want to talk about Lana Condor for just a minute. I think that her performance as Lara Jean is exceptional. And I think she is such a strong center for this movie and the way you can see her navigating. That is a tough age. I teach seniors. I know how difficult that is when you're trying to hold on to the friendships and the relationships that you have while also looking forward. And so I think like her, I love her friendship with Chris. And I think you see Laura Jean, how close they are and how they're such good compliments for each other and how each of them pushes the other to do things that they might not otherwise do in the best possible way, not things that they're unwilling to do, but just things that maybe some part of them wants to do, but they need that little push from their friends. I love watching her discover New York and realize how strongly she's connecting with this. And then the connection to her family's travels to Korea, which you can see, yeah, I was listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour, so I do want to give credit. They were talking about seeing that connection with the big city in both places. And you see her sort of registering the opportunities that are available to her in these places. Oh, and the search for the song. I just think there are all these nice moments woven into that New York trip. And some of them are about holding her to the relationships she already has, even though they're in New York. And some of them are about her figuring out who she wants to be and what she wants her nice next step to be. And I think it only works because, as Sarah said, the casting is great. And again, Lana Condor, I just think is an exceptional actress. And I think you believe, or I believe, her portrayal of Laura Jean and her sincerity and her desire to be kind. And yeah, I just, I loved all of that. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish I had added on that with what you said, Sarah, about Peter, that I do think that the portrayal is so much more sympathetic and not that I didn't enjoy him in the book, but I think that that chemistry worked really well and was really rich in the film and that there were a lot of opportunities and some of those I think were things that arose because of changes that were different from the book but there were a lot of opportunities for him to just be such a gracious and mature person and I loved all of that because I think we saw him rise to what we as the readers who love Laura Jean see about her you know yeah and how great she is yeah they have such an appreciation for each other's like quirks. I think that's one thing that's really fun to see is that it's not just because they're both beautiful people, but it's because they have these quirks that they just have come to enjoy. I just wanted to make a comment about the cinematography in the movie and the way that some of the things were shot from overhead and just the overall aesthetic of Laura Jean's room. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. I think that is really great. I, I think it is just so visually pleasing the movie. Oh, the illustrated the- part. Oh yes. my gosh, I love that. I love yes. that integration of the illustrations and the transitioning oh, so- into the, you know, into the reality or the 3d 
yeah mm-hmm. that's really cool so I just I mean that's all I really I just wanted to make sure that I noted it because that was one thing that really stood out to me and the way that just that Laura Jean is just like brightness you know and she, mm-hmm. the way that she I mean it's I think her, that goes with her, her kindness and her yes and I just love all that yeah. mm-hmm yeah. Well, our next category is another one that I'm going to be so unhelpful with. This is changes from the book that surprised us. I will say I was a responsible co-host and I did look up an article that talked about differences between the book and the movie that I'm happy to put in show notes, but I don't know that me talking through things that I have only the vaguest memory of is going to be super compelling. So once again, Ashley and Sarah, I'm going to depend on you to take the lead on this. So Ashley, what are some changes from the book that surprised you? So a huge one for me was the text to that she accidentally sent to Peter and she meant to send to Marco. I was like, oh my gosh. First of all, that was very cringeworthy. That whole situation happening. I was sweating on her behalf and then how she couldn't dig herself out because he was so excited. And so that was a big change, I thought. It's a related change to the fact that NYU. So, I mean, part of that is because of the setting of the story is different too. So they're on the West Coast and then she's looking at NYU as a possibility. But the both of those changes I thought were surprising, but also were things that I, like I said about NYU specifically, I just really appreciated that larger message that gets made that I think is far more impactful when you're talking about all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast. Not that it's not significant, exactly what Jen said. Being a senior is very challenging and you are, it's a huge transition. So absolutely choosing UNC over UVA and knowing you're going to be in two different locations is significant in the life of a teen. I totally get that. But I think that when you're making a film and you're sending a message to kids that like her choosing something that is all the way on the other coast is a a larger message to make. And one that I, when, you know, I have two daughters, like that's a message I want them to receive that they can have a, a great and healthy relationship and that is fine and awesome. But that if it is a great and healthy relationship, they can also make these choices that work for them and that their partner is going to be able to work with that. And I think he does that so well. I loved all of that. I loved them navigating that. I loved how he responded to the text snafu and how he handled her choosing New York and how he was so celebratory for her and wanting what was best for her. I just thought all of that was really awesome. So those were some big changes, but things that I thought we're consistent with the view that we have of Peter and Lara Jean in the book and it helps you intensify that for the viewers. Yeah. Sarah, how about you? Any changes that surprised you from the book? Well, I did want to make one comment about what Ashley was talking about with the text and then her inability to tell him. And I was, I had one of those moments that we talk about in, that happens in romance. It's like, just say the thing. Say yes. the thing. And I was like <laughs> screaming at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> just stop though. Cause it's, you just want to say the longer this goes, but I know I do realize I'm an adult and they're teenagers, but I just was screaming at my computer. Say the thing, just tell him because when she's wearing that tree hat in there, it's just so Oh, there were a lot of snarky comments. That was a great, that was a great, great field for snarky comments. (laughs) When he pulled up in the, 
in the Jeep covered in Stanford stuff and held Bluetooth <laughs> speaker. I was cringing. And then when she came out and just kind of was complicit in all of that, I felt like when Jen talks about just say the thing, say, say what you mean and say what, what is happening and just get over it. Right. And her waiting till New York to tell him, oh. I just, that whole part, I was very worked up about while I was watching. Yeah. Well, and it was so uncomfortable. And I did think the original text was totally understandable. But then, the, like you said, it's not like it was going to go away. Like, <laughs> so, like, what was she waiting for? But I also understand how hard it is to disappoint someone. Right. And especially when she didn't know any, she didn't have any backup at first. Right. And yeah. so that's really scary too. And of course, you know, she had good reason to think she would get in to other places, but when you don't have that, it's, I do understand how sometimes I think she wouldn't have done it on purpose, Yeah. Mm -hmm. but then it was hard to reveal information that you're already really insecure about. And sometimes it's easier to keep that private. Yeah. Because you don't have a workable solution. <laughs> right. So then you don't want to have to tell the person, you know, but it, yeah, it was painful. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, what I was going to say for the change from the book that I don't know that it surprised me, but it was a big change was the fact that they started the movie in Korea and it was only over spring break. And in the book, I mean, it was her whole summer break. I mean, that was the thing is that they were going to be going to different schools and they weren't going to be able to spend the summer together. And I was telling Ashley and Jen before we started that I know why they made that decision is because they wanted more Peter in the movie. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, because it's a love story, it's YA love story. And, you know, it works for the movie because they both the actors have such great chemistry. So I understand why they made that choice, but it was a, that was a huge point in the book. And I felt like that was a uh, change in the movie that was maybe not surprising, but was a huge change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did. One thing I think I liked about it moving to the beginning was how it immediately anchored the viewers yeah. in her heritage mm -hmm. and in her connection to her family and the loss of her mom and their opportunity to celebrate that. So I do think it had that purpose too yes. for people who didn't know, didn't read the mm -hmm. books, didn't necessarily know the story as well. I think it served that purpose, but I agree with you, Sarah, <laughs> that I'm sure the main thing was that you watch a romance for the romance yeah. part and you don't want to watch them the whole time talk about how they miss each other because, <laughs> because that gets old so <laughs> I thought that was nice too because I thought you kind of needed that reminder of Dr. Covey and all of their dedication to their mom before he proposes to Trina because yeah. I think it, it eased that transition which I think again is easier to do in a book than in a movie so yeah yeah and I loved the scenes with Soul also yeah. like I love in that when they went to the bridge and they found the lock. I thought all of that was really great. And that was one of the times where the montage part worked really well. Yes. So. All right. Well, our last category here is favorite scene or moment. Sarah, what was one of your favorite scenes or moments in the movie? Oh, I had a lot, but I think, well, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to, break the rules. I'm going to do two really small scenes because mine are pretty small. One is the scene between Trina and Lara Jean when Trina says, 
you have a hot boyfriend, you should go out and you should not be worrying about what's going to happen later. You need to enjoy him. And then she kind of realizes what she says. And she says, I mean, like <laughs> eat ice cream and hold hands. And then Laura Jean says, I'm going to tell my dad that you said that. And she said, I will cut you. I just thought that whole thing. I love that whole scene between them. I thought it seemed really authentic. And I thought that they both did such a good job. And I really like that between them. I think, I think that gives a good introduction to their relationship and how, Trina is really becoming a member of the family. And I just, I really liked all that. And then the other, both of these, I said the half, the the back half was my favorite, but both of these happened very near the front of the movie. But the other was when Laura Jean gave her gifts to Peter when she came home from Seoul. I thought that was the cutest, sweetest montage. It was a montage, <laughs> but him wearing the face mask and the wrap for like when you put on makeup and putting on the socks, I just thought it was just so sweet and precious and innocent. And I, I just really loved it. So mm-hmm. those are mine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those are so good. All right, Ashley, how about you? Yeah, I felt like I had a lot too that I could pick, but I'm going to go with when they were on the trip. I loved the New York trip in general. And I loved, like you said, at the beginning, Jen, the revelation that she has in the city of how she feels about it and how excited it makes her. I thought all that worked really well, but I loved the part when they were put in the two different groups and had to get there different ways because first of all that is such a high school phenomenon and although in real life if I'm separated from my friends I still don't like it but so I so I think (laughs) all of us as adults do understand it but it is definitely a high school thing to actually react and care and try to argue back (laughs) and so I appreciated that but then I loved how they took the selfies all over the city and that was their way of documenting and sharing with each other the experience that they were having. And I thought all of that was really sweet and worked really well for me. And then especially when she went to the party and she was there with Chris and Jen, and I thought all that was really interesting. She Again, there's a lot of opportunities for them to be really gracious with each other. She was very gracious with Jen at several points in this movie. And so I loved when they were together and then her hearing the song and the conversation about that and like kind of navigating that and him feeling kind of left out at first and then coming around. I just felt like all of that was really authentic to what relationships are like. And like you said before, Jen, about the work you have to put into them, the work that you have to do to make things work for yourselves and the way that they could make it work. Because I think also, you know, we as the viewers are hoping that the relationship holds and that things work out for them, even though they are going to be far apart. And so I loved that kind of glimpse into what it could look like to share your experiences with each other when you're not in the same place. So yeah. And I thought when she got back to the hotel and is so excited to share what has happened with Peter, and he shares his vulnerability with her that he does feel I I thought that was really nice because I thought they do a great job of making his character have a lot of depth. And that he also is feeling fragile about leaving Laura Jean and that he is also looking for these experiences to hold on, that it's not just her that's looking for these sentimental moments. I thought that was really sweet. Yeah. It's such a precious relationship. Mm -hmm. It really is. I mean, I just enjoy 
watching that portrayal over the three movies. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked that. Like I said, I just liked that she had that and that was working, but she also is able to go yes. beyond mm-hmm. and to make choices for herself. And I think that's really hard to navigate. I mean, I had a long-term relationship for a long time in high school and I near about went to college based on that. And I'm not saying it would have been the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. I just think that there is, it's very hard to be able to do both of those things, to see a high school relationship as valid and valuable and worthy of keeping but also to look toward a future that makes sure that you have yourself at the center of it. I think that's hard to do. And so I love seeing that in a film for teens. Yeah. Jen, what's your favorite scene or moment? So I'm cheating a little bit. I'm also doing two because I see them as being interwoven. So I think when Laura Jean is really struggling with what she's going to do about the college decision and her dad says to her, you can't save this relationship by not growing. First, again, I love Dr. Covey. I love John Corbett. I love his delivery of that line. And I just love the message that he is giving Laura Jean. And he's not discounting the importance of the relationship. He's saying that that is going to just end it in its own way. And then when he and Trina get married, their vow is hold each other, but not too tightly so you can grow and change through the twists and turns of life. And I, of course, was crying, (laughs) but I just thought you just see he is such a rich character and you see how he has learned these things about his own life and how he appreciated the relationship that he had with Laura Jean's mom, but also the love that he's found with Trina and the way that he's trying to communicate this to his daughters. And so I just thought the pairing of those two things that he had learned it and he was living it and he was trying to help Laura Jean learn it and live it too. It's just one of my favorite. Oh my gosh. I had a bunch of quotations that I wrote down, but every time I look at my little list, those are the two that stick out to me. And Laura Jean professes that she is someone who doesn't want change and she wants to save everything and she wants to hold on to things. And again, I think that's natural for kids at this stage. So yeah, it, it's that simultaneous, yes, there, there are things that are meaningful here that you want to take with you, but you also have to change. And as someone who, I mean, my senior, that was really hard for me because y'all know I do not like change. And so I could so identify with that. And I just really, I think he's just such a good dad. So that's, that's I know. Favorite. I love him. I love his character and I love her siblings. And mm-hmm. I think that all of that works so well in the books and it's great to see in the film. And I loved related to that at the wedding. I mean, she had experienced some real heartbreak and the possibility that they really couldn't work things out was high. And yet she was able to be in that moment with her siblings celebrating her dad. And I loved all of that too. And I think again, I mean, may we be so lucky to act that way as adults, much Uh less for a child, for a teenager to do that when, when it feels like that's your whole world that has come crumbling down. But I think that's why Laura Jean is such a great character. And I think it's believable that she's like that because she has this great family. Mm -hmm. Can I also just say the moment when Kitty says that she's going to miss her at 12 because she had asked Kitty how much she would miss her. Because I guess Margo was a nine. She would miss Margo a nine. She said, oh, you're 6.5. And then she said she's going to miss her at 12. That was another one. I know. Because <laughs> you're right, Ashley. The, they just do such a good job of developing. The, even Margo, who's not there that much. But you see their distinct personalities. Even the way that Trina and their dad supports them dressing so differently. 
as part of the ceremony and that they celebrate their differences, but also they're this unit. I just, I really love it. All right. Well, I feel like I could go on fawning all over this movie, but we're going to close out. So we would love to know what you thought of any of the books or any of the movies. Yeah, you can share our thoughts. We did do a book to screen adaptation of the first movie. So you can go back and listen to that. We'll put that in the show notes as well. We are going to end with our give me one. And today's topic is emoji that you love the most. Uh, (laughs) Ashley. (laughs) Well, Jen picked this topic and it made me laugh because I love emojis and it is something that I have come to rely on a lot. In fact, I feel like sometimes now I have to be like, write the thing, Ashley, do not just send an emoji. (laughs) So I do, it's something that I thought they were really weird. And then once I embraced them, like a lot of things in my life, I was all the way (laughs) to then. I was like, man, there's so many that I love. But Sarah and Jen, who get lots of emojis from me, helped me narrow it down. And there are two that I use very frequently and love very much. One is the scream face. You know, it looks like from the painting, the scream to a certain extent. You know, the kind of ghost-like face with the vacant eyes and the hands on the side. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I think it can convey such a wide range of feelings. And I'm here for that. And then the other one that I use very frequently because I often feel this way is the one where the brain is kind of exploding and it looks a little bit like an atomic cloud. I I use that one a lot too. (laughs) Sarah, how about you? Oh, this was so easy for me. Mine is the face palm emoji. I send that all the time. And especially in 2020 and 2021, I feel like I have made so many bonehead decisions and mistakes and just things that are happening. And I am always saying sorry with the face palm emoji. So (laughs) I feel like if I had to have a, something like an emoji tattooed on me that would be the face palm emoji because I'm always face palming (laughs) what about you Jen what's yours so I am also doing two and I do often use these in conjunction with each other and mine is the face palm plus the shrug and I feel like again since March 2020 I feel like more often than not (laughs) that is my general attitude uh yeah so face palm plus shrug that's Jen all over. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And again, let us know your thoughts about Laura Jean and all the boys I've loved before and all three movies and all three books. Thanks so much. Bye. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnderbridgePod or on the web at UnderbridgePod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. Unabridged.